Listening to Manhunter Radio with Jeff Shetler, the leading podcast for all things tracking and trailing in law enforcement, military, and search and rescue. Leash up and hold on for the ride. Welcome to another edition of Manhunter Radio. It's great to have one of my best friends on board. I've been needing to have. And Bond join us now for the last several months and finally got into his busy schedule uh, to have him join us. And um, is probably one of the, uh, uh, I don't know, one of the best friends I've ever had in trailing. And he goes back to uh, really my beginnings and my origin. And when I first started uh, back in the early 90s. Uh, I'm going to let Kevin talk a little bit more about himself, but uh, he's a veteran police officer from the state of California, working many different venues, and uh, he's been working bloodhounds for just about as long as I have. Kevin, uh, if you don't mind, maybe you can give us a little history about um, where you started, uh, how you started, and more importantly, how you got into uh, man, man, man hunting and man trailing in general. Well, hello, my name is Kevin Bond. I'm originally from San Jose, California. Um, I grew up always wanting to be a canine officer from as far back as I can remember. Um, I, it was a competitive time to become a police officer back in, back in the 90s. I made it into San Jose PD. Um, and then my, my number one goal was to be a canine officer. So I... Uh, Worked, uh, worked hard to, to meet that goal, and, and five years into my career, I became a, um, one of the, the first uh, bloodhound handler with the uh, city of San Jose. And that's where I uh, worked with uh, Jeff Shetler um, when we would meet at uh, Walmart parking lot and uh, do, uh, do some training and, and put this out and, and get, this, get this whole thing going. And Jeff uh, was a handler with uh, a dog uh, many of you guys might know named Ronan. And uh, we, uh, we worked dogs and we'd get our own little training group together and uh, a couple other people would join and, and we worked dogs and all over, all over and got to just uh, experience and, and the, and the world's uh, opened up from there. Um, cool. So from there, Kevin, I uh, me- got to uh, do some other stuff, but I'll let you go ahead, Jeff. No, I was going to, I was just going to, I wanted to ask you a couple questions a little bit about your, your beginning. When did you actually start working from San for San Jose PD? And, and also just so our listeners know, San Jose is in the uh, San Francisco Bay area. It's south of uh, San Francisco, uh, probably about an hour if there's really no traffic uh, and maybe five hours if it's really shitty out there. Um, and it's gotten a lot worse since then, but um uh, Kevin worked for San Jose PD as his first department, and if you could tell us a little bit about those beginnings, what year, why you, why you went to San Jose, how you got started in law enforcement. Uh, well, I, I, I was born and raised in San Jose, um, and in nineteen ninety two, I became a reserve officer. Like I was talking about, it was super competitive. There was like a hundred people would apply, and one would get uh, chosen. So I became a reserve officer, get some experience under my belt. And then uh, 10 months later, um, I was picked up uh, as a full-time police officer. I went through the academy in, um, 
1995, kind of 94, 95. Mm-hmm. And uh, then uh, there was a class of 63 uh, officers that uh, got hired at the same time. And uh, we hit the, the streets running about six months later. And when, when, you, when you started with San Jose, I know things have changed a lot since that time frame. But how many beat officers, actually I shouldn't say beat officers, but how many officers uh, in general did San Jose have? This will kind of give our listeners a, an idea of the magnitude of the size of the department. So San Jose um, had about 1,400 officers uh, out there. Every, every, there was three shifts uh, every day of about uh, 100 officers in briefing each day. Um, was uh, about uh, about our uh, our size uh, before uh, before the late change in the department later about uh, twenty years later. Mm-hmm. And when when you when you began, uh, of course, you you just hit the street as a as a beat cop initially. How long until you heard about this bloodhound program and and how did that that begin? Also, I mean, what what was the the catalyst to start this bloodhound program? So there was a, a senior senior canine uh, sergeant. Um, his name was Chuck Wall that uh, had learned about uh, bloodhounds and uh, learned about some of the work you had done. And uh, he uh, started the program um, and then uh, worked it uh, worked it up through uh, through the command staff and. Uh, it was kind of on and off on if the program was going to happen, but uh, I uh, worked through and, uh, and, and the program was uh, eventually approved and you were the, the trainer for the department. And uh, we had our first two bloodhounds. So I, how long did that, I, if I remember correctly, I mean, I'm getting older and my memory dims with age, of course, but um, if I remember correctly, that was almost like an 18 month process getting that whole project going, you know, from it was, uh, it was a massive, it was probably about 18 months yeah. to, to get the whole thing going. Um, the cart got a little, little before the horse and we got the dogs up and running mm-hmm. um, before it actually even finally got approved. Um, and then um, it was kind of interesting. I remember one turning point um was a bloodhound work ended up on the front page of the local paper and uh pretty much the next uh week the program was finally approved really what was the what was that case i don't remember that one um it was i i i'm i'm drawing a blink on the name right now Maury Tripp, the guy up in Santa Cruz Mountains. Yeah, Maury Tripp. Maury Tripp. Maury Tripp. There it is. I, I knew you would know it. Yeah. Um, yeah Maury Tripp uh, found a kid, and uh, it. You know, the family contacted him directly. He he was kind of a recluse guy that lived up in the mountains, and in uh, law enforcement wasn't finding their kid, and and Maury uh, Maury brought his dogs out and. Uh, kind of showed everybody how to do it. Yeah, I, I got a little side story with Maury. I can't, I, I can't uh, help but talk a little bit about it right now. If you'll, you'll just bear with me. But when I first started getting into the whole hound thing and was just investigating it, and uh, my first dog, Ronan, was actually just a puppy. I was just learning how to, 
to train him. Trying to find a trainer back then was difficult at best because the internet didn't really exist. Um, and so everything was cold calls or newspapers or he said, she said, that's the only way you could really literally find anybody in the world at that time. Uh, and I learned about Maury being a, a handler in the San Francisco Bay Area for, I think, a couple decades. And he actually had a pretty good success record uh, in the whole Santa Clara Valley. And um, a lot of departments used him. And I, if I remember correctly, he had found a lot of people. But um, he was a little off and a little strange, uh, a little antisocial from what I heard. Uh, and I was introduced to him um, actually via phone call. And I asked if I could come out and train with him sometime to, to learn a little bit more about what he did. And, and I remember the first time I went up there to find his place up in the mountains, it was way off in the middle of this um, uh, Catholic church retreat. I think it was on like three or 400 acres and he was living in a trailer at the time. And, and I pull up and I'm knocking on his trailer door. And I think it took him about 10 or 15 minutes to finally answer. And when he did, he asked who I was, what I was doing there. And, and on, he had really no memory of, of us talking on the phone and me coming out to go train. And, and once I finally convinced him that I was there for a legitimate reason and reminded him of our, our phone call, he says, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, well, okay, this is what I want you to do. Uh, see that area over there in the woods? I want you to just head off in the woods and walk about two or three miles, and then I'll come find you with the dogs. And uh, I did that. Uh, and I was a little bit strange. I didn't really know what to do because I was a, a brand new handler and brand new into to mantling. Um, so I just, you know, did what he, he said and I just walked on. Well, it took me probably about 40 minutes to run the trail. And then when I got to the ending, I realized that, you know, I really didn't have any way to contact him uh, because not only that, uh, the internet wasn't really a big thing back in the day, but cell phones weren't either. And they definitely didn't work up in that location. So here I was in the middle of mountains, uh, probably about two miles from his place. I had no idea where I was at. And he's supposed to now find me with the dogs. I literally sat there for almost three hours until he finally rolled up with the dogs. He didn't even start the trail until about two and a half, half hours after I left. So that was my introduction to Maury. Uh, and I really didn't see him again until about seven years later when uh, we worked an FBI gig in, in uh, Virginia uh, with the FBI's hostage rescue team a little bit later. But um, that was my introduction to Maury and a very, very interesting guy. So I want to go back to you, Kevin. So you, you, you got the story about Maury and obviously it kicked your program in, into high gear. And whenever you have a, a missing kid or, you know, Alzheimer's patient or something that's, that's found by a dog, uh, it really garners great headlines, I think, a lot more than just the normal criminal cases. And uh, would you say that that's probably why your program got started as quickly as it did was because it was missing kid versus, let's say, a criminal case? I, I would definitely agree. Um, there's a, a lot. Uh, it, like you said, it was it had been about an 18 month process at that point. And um, any, anybody familiar with a large department would kind of realize how what it takes to get uh, all the all the people to, to sign off on, on starting a new program in a department. And and it was pretty amazing how that all happened within a, a day or two of that uh, taking place. Now, how did you get selected for it? I mean, what, was there a lot of applicants for that position or just a couple? How did that go? Um, yeah, there, there, I was one of the interested canine guys and they kind of went around to the interested canine guys and uh, then they, to see who, who would also be interested in um, 
the, the bloodhound work. And, uh, I, I honestly, at that point didn't know a whole lot about it, but, uh, it was working with the dog and that was what I wanted to do. And so that was, uh, worked out, uh, trying to, to be one of the best decisions in my uh, entire life. It, it launched a whole, a whole new world to me. Do you, do you remember at that time, how many other bloodhound handlers there were in the state of California? At that time, um, you were definitely the only one I knew of. Um, it was really kind of a, a, an unknown thing at the time. And what I what I didn't quite realize and kind of learned to realize and, and now seen full circle, um, I like to try to describe to people at that time, um, I was joining um, a Camaro club mm-hmm. and I drove a Mustang. <laughs> Okay, you have to you have to describe that a little bit better. What do you mean by that? <laughs> so, uh, essentially, it uh, you know the the it, it uh, we we all had cars or dogs at the time, but um, you know your your dog is not like our dogs because uh, it's just a different different kind and 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 it's a different world and and I don't understand your world even though it's still a dog and. And, and, and yours can't be as good as mine because our whole club is belongs to, uh, our, our kind of dogs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, so it's I, hard it, to describe. It, it, uh, that that's kind of, everybody seems to kind of nod their head when uh, I describe that at the time, because, uh, mm-hmm. that, that kind of wraps it up. It's just, uh, it, it you're just, you just kind of look, uh, you got a different world you're joining. Yeah, you know, and, and back then, um, at the time when I started, uh, right around '94, I, I was the first full-time police bloodhound handler in the state of California. There were some reservists that had some part-time dogs, um, but I didn't realize it at the time. Uh, I was the first full-time, you know, bloodhound handler canine that the state had seen. Um, you and 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 uh, Mike Gezi, that was the other handler who was chosen for your program. Um, you guys were, I think, number three and number four. Um, there was one other handler in uh, Riverside County uh, uh, Sheriff's Department that was coming on right around the same time, Kobe Webb. Um, and I think that that was really just about it for the state. Now, I know things have grown significantly since then. I mean, we're flashing forward, you know, over 25 years later now. And um, I think we've gone from two or three handlers in the state maybe more. I'm not even sure. I'm having a, I'm actually having a hard time keeping track of it. And, and the dogs are actually getting quite successful. Uh, so, you know, Southern California to Northern California, all the way across the board. So obviously the programs worked and, and, uh, were the catalyst for future programs to come. So it's kind of nice to see that, you know, our, our Camaro program is now becoming a little bit more mainstream, not perhaps as mainstream as regular patrol canine, but there's a lot more of us today than there were going back to those early nineties. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, that, that is for sure. It is definitely, I, I kind of hinted to coming full circle and, and it's been, uh, it's been quite the ride and the experience to, uh, to kind of take it full circle, see, uh, see how this is becoming more and more mainstream and um, you know, how, how, how much time we spend uh, applying the same, same techniques that we have experienced and learned and taught over the years to all the, uh, 
all the pointy ear dogs or the uh, to the to the Camaros out there. It, it's it's kind of funny how the the same socket wrench worked uh, and and can fix the same engine no matter if it's the Ford or the Mustang. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. You know, I remember in those days that uh, it was either apples or oranges, and you know we were kind of ostracized to our own little training program, um, which was just us bloodhound guys. Uh, it was kind of hard to break into the the rank and file canine world because, you know, there wasn't a lot of interest in us being included back in those days. Um, there was, I'm not sure if it was animosity or just, you know, lack of education more than anything. Uh, and the other factor, you know, if I remember correctly, I don't remember about San Jose, but I do know about my department and the other local departments around Alameda um, is that nobody did any tracking. The patrol dogs just didn't do it at all. Did were they, was San Jose doing any tracking at all besides uh, the Bloodhound program? No, they uh, they did not do any tracking. It was just a kind of a straight um, perimeter yard to yard search was uh, was the only searching that they did. Um, and so, yeah, it's uh, kind of another funny story. I, I just kind of remembered from you know being the only ones. I, I remember going to a, a, a canine officer or a canine that was killed unfortunately in the line of duty in the Bay Area. And uh, there was, you know, over a hundred, hundred police dogs there. And uh, I had the only, only floppy eared dog there. And it was, it was pretty interesting. My, my first canine Zach at San Jose PD was, he was, he was pretty full of himself and, and he didn't really uh, appreciate other dogs a whole lot, but it, he was the most uh kind he was the most uh, obedient i'd ever seen him in my entire life um when he was surrounded in a, in a line of over 100 uh mouths and shepherds <laughs> yeah and, and that that does say a lot about him because he was a little wild beast when he was uh out there for the most part yes that that is for sure <laughs> yeah he was a big and he was actually a big bloodhound too tell us a little bit about zach you know where he came from um, you know, some of the things that you remember the most and maybe a couple of, uh, interesting cases that you worked. Um, so Zach, uh, Zach came from, uh, at the time we kind of went with, um, well, if the, the show lines have uh, strict standards and so he, he kind of came from a show line breeder, um, out of Canada and, um, in, now I think I have some different opinions on that. I go for more of the athletic bloodhound rather than the show lines, which are kind of the the bigger, uh, thicker um, dogs. Zach uh, Zach's playing weight was about 110 pounds, so it was a whole lot of thunder to work with. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he was uh, he was a handful. He 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 really wanted to please me and work hard, and and we got to do an amazing, uh, amazing amount of work. And San Jose PD, I was very lucky in that I spent uh, a little over six years where I would uh, come in with the canine guys. Uh, that was my only job in the world was to work with him. I had no calls for service. Um, we would just, uh, I would help, uh, help with yard to yard. And, um, and then we were also part of what they called a merge team. Um, mm-hmm. so we would go to all the hostage barricades and, and all the, the SWAT calls is, uh, is, is what we would go to. And then all the high profile calls, uh, 
back then you could actually chase uh, chase criminals in the, in the state of California. Um, and so we would, uh, all the vehicle chases usually ended in a foot chase and, and there was just uh, a lot of, a lot of work out there. There's a city of about a million people. Um, so we got to, to just, uh, drive around the city and work. And then when I wasn't uh, working, I, uh, trained, so I got to train all my calls. I got to train, train in between them. And so I got a lot of, a lot of time to, uh, kind of develop and work on all of our, all these uh, techniques. One of the yep. tricks I would use or I, I got to learn a lot about scent was I would run uh, a real call the night before or and then I would try to come back. And whether it was successful or not, I would go uh, have a, a trail, run a trail through that same neighborhood or that same the same trail I ran. I would mm-hmm. run on an unknown trail. I would come back and then run on a known trail. So I mm-hmm. would put the person down the track that I ran, and then I would understand and play the difference between how how he worked it when I didn't know, and then mm-hmm. I would kind of gain some knowledge on uh, on with a known sample on where why kind of some of the things happened or where scent might collect and where some of the productive sources are and, and how mm-hmm. to overcome some of the barriers and just uh, all the different things um, that I learned from, from the real call to the, to the training call. What was the, what was the most difficult thing that you had to do back in those days? What was the biggest barrier or obstacle to good trailing or tracking uh, with Zach back, back in those days? My, uh, my biggest obstacle with Zach was, uh, was distractions, distractions Mm -hmm. for their ugly head. And, um, he was a very obstinate dog. Um, and it was my big, big barrier was to, uh, keep him focused on, uh, on finding, uh, that scent that I had presented to him and, 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 the concept that that was uh, the most important thing and nothing else mattered. Um, mm-hmm. Something, something came along that uh, interested him. Um, it was, it was a little bit of a battle to, to keep him focused on, on the task at hand. It turned out to be my, you know, his obstinance came in uh, when I, when I finally turned that corner um, and that became the, the most important thing to him. And uh, he would usually stick to it. Um, mm-hmm. That that became uh, became my biggest asset because we could we could we could get to the end of trails when um, the the odds stacked against us and the trails got hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I think we can say distractions are probably the number one problem with tracking dogs in general, coast to coast and intercontinental. I mean, you and I have trained quite a bit overseas in Europe. And um, don't you think that's kind of like the number one problem with most of the police dogs that we work with overseas as well? Yeah, that that definitely is uh, is by far you know kind of the the biggest uh, biggest barrier, um, mm-hmm. and then uh, kind of quickly followed by people understanding uh, what it is their dogs trying to tell them and 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 helping helping work together as a team. You know, yeah. if you can if you can be distraction free and uh you learn how to work together as a team uh that becomes a a pretty uh pretty unstoppable force 
Yeah, yeah, it really does. You know, when it comes to your deployments, there's you know, there's a small there's a there's a small percentage of people in our industry who believe that the bloodhounds and single purpose tracking dogs really have no business working criminal cases and that they should just be left to SAR or search and rescue. Uh, now, I know that was not the position for San Jose PD back at, in the time, and I don't think it is actually to this day either. Um, and so I'm interested, how many criminal cases from a percentage standpoint did you work, let's say, in comparison to the search and rescue missing persons cases? You know, can you, you remember what that percentage might have been? Ooh, that's a... Uh... I mean, of course, I have all my notes, but we're 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 going back into the '90s and, and early 2000s here, Jeff. Yeah, um, I know. But uh, <laughs> well, um, it was the the vast majority of my cases were were criminal cases. Mm-hmm. Um, I was out there on the streets and 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 looking for every call that I could work with them, and so I would jump on every call that I could, um, uh-huh. and so. I definitely had probably if I had to guess, um, you know, maybe a 30 percent Alzheimer's missing persons versus uh, a 70 percent. If I had to give a rough number off the top of my head, uh, Mm -hmm. um, criminal case uh, ratio. Mm -hmm. And when you when you work in these with these, I would say that was very similar to mine. And then also some of the other Bay Area bloodhound handlers that came on later. I remember OPD, Oakland Police Department, ended up getting a couple dogs. And uh, their criminal cases were actually, I think, a little bit higher, more in the 80 to 90 percent rate. But then again, their crime ratio was far higher than both of ours, I think, combined. Um, So, you know, I, I think that, you know, if the in almost any circumstance where we were working search and rescue and criminal cases, the criminal cases have a tendency to be. A little bit higher in in San Jose, and for you at that time, what was your bread and butter call out? Would you say? I mean, what did you do the most? Like burglaries, bailouts, robberies. What was your your top call out? Do you think? Cool top call. That. Uh, hmm. I don't know that I. I, I think kind of the bailout from the, the stolen cars was, mm-hmm. was way up there. Um, I, I know running a, a fair number of sexual assaults cause you, you get, uh, I, I definitely had quite, quite, quite the numbers there. Mm-hmm. Um, the, those were, those were kind of my, I would do, I would jump on a lot of, uh, not necessarily callouts, but I would jump on a lot of like DUI crashes. Mm-hmm. Um, you get a, a good, uh, you know, two AM crash. Um, it's it's kind of the a perfect little scenario where you got a nice uh, clean uh, scent article usually, and then um, the guy is not in a familiar area, so you really only have the one scent trail to follow. You don't have to work through all the the contamination of a house or the contamination of the crime scene, or, you know, he's been there multiple times or, or the scent pool start, um, you, you get kind of a nice clean trail and they're a little, little uncoordinated from where they go. And, and, uh, out of the, out of the car, they didn't plan on, on leaving. Uh, it wasn't a planned event. So just made it a kind of a, a nice, uh, clean, successful, typically, uh, 
nice trail to run. Yeah, higher find ratios, I think. Probably. Higher find ratios, right? Yeah. And, and, and when you everybody were... knows uh, it, there's there's a bit of a stat game, and and so you gotta yeah, it, it gives you a nice uh, good ratio for for some of the less likely successes that are that are our trails that that tend to tend to get called and yeah, get to run. Yeah, yeah. So like the person that's been missing for five days. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. In downtown San Jose. Yeah. yeah. So what was, um, you know, going back to these criminal cases, I mean, it was obviously um, something that you, you had to do. It was, it was a primary part of your, your tracker job. What kept you safe? I mean, how how did you manage officer safety in those situations, and 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 what did Zach do to kind of help you along with that? Um, staying safe was uh, always always the the hard part because um, you you gotta it's kind of a, a twofold uh, twofold event. So you gotta you gotta work the dog. Um, and, uh, you have to have, uh, kind of the best mindset possible and, and rely on your training and experience. But, uh, many of my, my first, uh, several finds, I was able to, uh, luckily kind of read when we were close or read when we were in the area. And, uh, it was my job then to, to take us to, to kind of slow the whole thing down or take a step back and, and, uh, come up with a tactical plan so that we just mm-hmm. didn't uh, run run right in on people, and uh, and that is definitely uh, definitely saved uh, saved my bacon many a times. And you know, it's it's interesting that you mentioned that. You know, you one of the things that you said that you know by Zach telling you that you were close. I mean, you're getting that proximity alert, so you know you're getting you're getting there. It gave you um, some tactical options. You were able to slow it down. And then make some decisions on how you're going to deploy on this thing. And I think that from you know our standpoint, when we're talking about officer safety situations, it's having those options and not right running right in to that ending that's so crucial. I mean, when it comes to not only our safety, but I think the safety of the public and perhaps even the subject himself. You know, there's nothing worse than forcing a conflict through confrontation, wouldn't you say? Um, it, it, exactly. And I think, um, the, the canine world in general is kind of getting held. Everybody's getting held to that standard, mm-hmm. um, to where, even if you have a bite dog that, uh, they, the, the society and, and command staff in general wants, uh, would prefer it gets handled, uh, through person to person contact rather than, uh, canine to person contact and, and get, uh, and be safe and have tactical plans to, to, to make the, all of that happen. I, I do have a kind of a, a great little story, um, from my very first find, uh, that, uh, I, I, I had the proximity alert well work for me. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I was out, uh, out training out of my city in the County and I was, uh, training with, uh, a uh, good partner of ours, uh, Gordon Wood, and uh, and it was in the wee dark mornings of the of, of the witch hour, and uh, our highway patrol had chased uh, a, a stolen vehicle, a motorcycle, in fact, and and the guy crashed off the side of the highway, and Gordon was called to it, so I was with him, and I got approval to go with him, and and uh, he uh, he started his dog, and 
and from the from a shoe that was uh at the scene mm-hmm. and we chased it and we we went across the uh interstate there and we were we were trailing up the side of the interstate and um and and he had the uh patrol dog and and this he kept getting sucked out into the highway and he had to put a lot of obedience on the dog and and at some point uh his dog had kind of shut down because he just didn't know what, what the handler, what Gordon wanted him to do anymore. And, and Zach is as obstinate as he was and, and, and no obedience for the most part to begin with, he, he would never care. So we were able to uh, transition from his dog to my dog. And then we trailed about a, a, a good ways up the highway. And then we took a, took a overpass Mm-hmm. which wasn't an off ramp, but we, and went through some fences and, and down and to make a long story short, I turned into a yard and then, uh, I actually, uh, kind of waited. I, it took me a while to get hit in the head with the proximity alert, but I ended up circling this large, uh, large patch of, uh, reeds. And, uh, I, I yanked them off and, and sent the boys in there and, and, and they, and they found the guy and, took him into custody. And, and, uh, at the end I, I wanted Zach to get his fine. So I, I kind of walked him in on there and, and all I, I and the, and the quote of the day was, uh, when the, when, the the suspect says, looks at my dog and goes, that's a damn good dog. <laughs> <laughs> Made for a, a, long, a nice report. <laughs> that was actually a pretty long track, if I remember correctly. Because Yeah, it, it, there was some, definitely some length in there. And, yeah. uh, you know, there's some, some teamwork and, and uh, a lot of a lot of good things in there that uh, that came together. And it, it was actually, you know, we were it tracking was still pretty new at the time and and neither one of us worked for the department and and the, the funny part was at the at the very end they yeah. they couldn't even comprehend how we pulled that rabbit out of the hat yeah yeah it, it's you know and you know i think that case and then a couple of the other ones that you know collectively our little group had worked was the beginning of when we realized that we could actually track multiple dogs right right um, and and that's that's kind of when it all started and when we got this oh hey it, you just don't have to use one dog you can switch them out put another dog on the track and you can actually sometimes run multiple dogs at the same time that if i remember correctly that was kind of the beginning of when we we started training for that a little bit yeah that that uh that helped uh integrate the uh, mustang into the camaro club <laughs> when yeah. we uh, we began to work together and uh you know it was, it was my job to get them there and and kind of get that proximity and then uh it was then that, then we were able to you know train together and transition from one to an apprehension dog and uh and kind of keep everybody safe and the the, the tactical plan that we could work with um mm-hmm. and we ended up using that uh, a bunch more in the future yeah, and you know, I, and, and I got to say, it was Gordon and Uli that started that for us. And you know, I have a, a little interesting story with Gordon as well. It was my my first meeting with him, and I was working a, a escapee from the San Jose or the Santa Clara County Jail in uh, San Jose. I got called out from Alameda all the way down to San Jose to work this case. Um, and of course, when I got there, it was an absolute clusterfuck and 
five or six hours after the fact and thousands of people and cars and everything else. And so there wasn't really a track for me to get per se. I was just really walking uh, my dog around more than anything. But I remember um, walking Ronan past a, a perimeter unit and, and it was Gordon leaning up against his car in uh, typical Gordon fashion. And he said, Hey, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm, I'm looking for this escape prisoner. He goes, yeah, yeah, I know, but you're from Alameda. Why are you here? And he goes, well, I, I got called out because I got this, this bloodhound and supposedly I might be able to run a track off of him. He goes, ah, well, can't we do that too? You know, I, you know, I got my German shepherd and is there, can we do something like that? And I said, well, I don't see why not. And that was actually the beginning of our first patrol dog into our training group, if I remember correctly, because Gordon came out a couple of days later and we started, uh, you know, imprinting the trailing methods that we used with our bloodhounds with Uli. Uh, and Uli was a German shepherd at the time who, you know, he was a bite dog, but, you know, uh, I think his favorite thing ended up actually being tracking and trailing shortly after the imprinting. And, and he went on to have a really, really successful tracking career down there at Santa Clara, Santa Clara County Sheriff's Department, if I remember correctly. I mean, you work with them a lot more than I did because of the proximity, but um, they were very successful, weren't they? They were, they were a very successful team. And yes, uh, uh, our Gordon was, you know, a savvy dog handler. He was on his third, uh, third canine at the time. And, and his first dog was one of the first dogs in Santa Clara County, if I remember correctly. And uh, he actually trained that dog from, uh, from an eight week old puppy into a, to a patrol dog. So he, he was definitely a very savvy handler and he, he could see that, uh, um, his current dog, Uli is his third police dog was, was probably more, more into the hunt than the, than the find and, uh, enjoyed the hunt of, uh, of a trail so that he, he really adapted well. And, uh, you know, that, uh, that was our first, uh, first patrol dog into the group. And, uh, and that, that was, a uh, great, uh, great for them to work together and work a lot of great cases. Well, for me, it was, it was really interesting because, you know, I, I look back at what I was taught when I first started and when you and I got together, I was, I was still kind of in, in my infancy in trailing and tracking and uh, working under a lot of misconceptions. And I think probably one of the biggest misconceptions I had at the time was that only bloodhounds could do what we were doing. Uh, that that's basically what I was taught and told. Um, and for me, I think one of the biggest changes in, in my mindset was working with Uli and Gordon, you know, um, we, we started bringing out this German shepherd into our training group. And I quickly realized that Uli could do pretty much everything that our dogs could do. There's really not a big difference. Um, I mean, he was a, he was a trailing tracking machine. Uh, and that's when I realized that, you know, some of the myths that I had been taught early on were really just that were myths. Uh, it wasn't so much the breed of the dog as the drive of the dog for the job of tracking and trailing. Um, how do you feel about that? Oh, I, I, I totally, totally agree on that. And, um, and yeah, I think, uh, you know, Uli and Gordon were one of the catalysts, uh, to kind of open our eyes and, and get that whole, whole thing going. And, uh, and just seeing uh, seeing them and the, and the success they had, and and maybe I can share with uh, the listeners uh, 
having having a little history with you going back 25 years i think one yeah. of the other myths to the occasion were you know there's probably a lot of people that might might find this interesting about you jeff but uh yeah. you uh you 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 had a goal to to be as fast as you can get to the handler sometimes you you would be moving pretty good you you had a pretty high speed approach <laughs> yeah go ahead and tell them all about it <laughs> uh-huh. I, I there there was a time that uh you you definitely wanted to close the gap and and uh and if you could move twice as fast as the guy you were going to close that gap just as quick and and you and ronan had uh had had some had some speed to your trails until you till you got your proximity alerts but you you were a pretty pretty high speed mover at the time uh when when it began um yeah if, well you know because uh, back back in those days you know running was the name of the game, you know, and, and now I, I totally preach against it and it's all because of, you know, officer safety issues more than anything else. But back in those days I was taught to run. Right. Before, before we knew better, you know, that was, uh, that was kind of, kind of the name of the game. Um, we, and, and we'd have, uh, obviously we slow it down, um, for the, the circumstances of the trail, but, uh, you know, we, we believed at the time that we, we had to also, move at a higher speed to keep the dog uh, more engaged. Yeah. Of- that would, I mean, I think it was always the fear of that. We're going to lose the track if we slow the dog down. Right. Was, I mean, I think that was the, the overwhelming thing for me was that, okay, if I didn't allow him to move as fast as he wanted, then, you know, something else could happen. And, and I didn't really realize that back in those days that actually trying to run to keep up made it harder for him to do his job because of this constant, push me, pull you effect with the leash. You know, he's constantly getting line checked because of my running and, you know, you know, poor, you know, acrobatic athletic skills comparison in compared comparison to how he moved. Um, You know, so I think that the big change for me actually was just almost getting my ass kicked or killed on a couple tracks. That's when I realized that, you know, speed was not the name of the game and that perhaps I need to kind of change my tune a little bit. Yeah, definitely. I uh, just uh, I, I know there's some people out there that's probably gotten uh, some some kind words whispered in their ear from you on their speed. So I, I want I wanted to make sure that they kind of get a that 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 is an evolved trait that uh, and there's reasons behind everything that we do as instructors. There's just a very it's just very good. There's no incriminating videos of me from those days. Oh, I, I, yeah. Cell phones were not really a thing. I mean, we had a bag phone at the time, maybe, but, uh, yeah. it, yeah. it wasn't, uh, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't capturing video. We were lucky to catch a, a cell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, how many cases did you say that you worked? You, you actually ended up, um, you know, moving on and actually having more dogs, but how many cases did you work with Zach when you were with San Jose? Do you, do you think? <sighs> I'd have to kind of give you the exact number um, from my training notes. I, I think I still have them out there in the garage, but uh, the, that, you know, having kind of gone through, I think it's been over three homicide trials that uh, went went before the defense attorney and 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 your training notes become super important. Um, it, it was about I, I close to 
close to 2000, somewhere in there, the high, high, uh, high teens there on, um, documented, uh, cases, um, mm-hmm. that I got to work with, um, mm-hmm. now that's and, significant because, you know, and, and I think it, it kind of goes to your motivation to do the job too. I mean, you're not sitting back on your laurels and waiting for a call. You're, you're out there, you know, you're hustling, you're doing your job and, you know, you're volunteering for calls when you hear them come in on the radio, right? Correct. Yeah. I would always, uh, you know, be, be ready to respond to anything where I thought, uh, I could, I could use the dog and in between getting called to use the dog or, or my other, other duties I help in the patrol dogs was, uh, you know, go find, uh, any kind of case. Um, and, 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 and it was, uh, you know, I, I find uh, tracking and trailing is, you know, kind of all revolved around scent work. And um, as far as I know, there's no computer yet or device that can can tell us what scent is, where scent is. Um, so it's it's this this puzzle that just can't be solved. And um, my mind is always trying to to get as much information as it can to learn from it. And uh and try to try to be the best handler that I could. And so that, uh, every opportunity I could get, I would, uh, I would go out there and try to find it or, or I might hear something and, and I wasn't sure I had the experience. So, um, I would then, uh, kind of go learn about that and what that situation was and maybe not run my dog, but then, uh, set something like that up in training so that I did have experience for the next time. Cause I never wanted to, uh, have to run, run trail, um, on something that, uh, I, I was unable or had no experience with prior to, uh, actually deploying my dog. So you had 2000, roughly 2000 deployments with with Zach. And if I remember correctly, you said it was roughly a 70% ratio of criminal to SAR cases. So 70 criminal, 30 SAR. So you had close to 1400 deployments on criminal cases. I mean, that's significant for a canine handler. And considering that you're a single purpose guy tracking cases, I mean, that's huge. And and I think it has a, a uh, a big impact on your expertise and uh, more importantly, your, your experience and what you can pass on to other handlers, um, you know, from a, a reality standpoint and, and, you know, just going to some of the trainings that we're doing today, I think that that's probably the number one thing you have to offer is that experience level. Um, now you mentioned some criminal cases that you actually had to testify on two two homicides in particular, were both those in San Jose? Um, yeah, the, 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 there's kind of one of the, one of the more, the more famous ones or documented ones are, is, um, uh, unfortunately, a, a, a very serious case of, uh, officer involved homicide. Mm-hmm. What, um, what happened? So, uh, uh, the officer, um, kind of fresh out of the academy, high, high, uh, high energy guy was out, uh, working, working for some, looking for some burglary activity in, in one of the nicer neighborhoods of San Jose. And, uh, he, he unfortunately found what he was looking for, but, um, and, uh, he was executed as he entered the, uh, uh, got the guys kind of wedged into a court from a short pursuit. And, uh, 
and, and, and made contact with the guy. Um, and, uh, he was, uh, executed right there at the uh, door of the car. And then the, uh, the suspect had fled, um, fled the scene, mm-hmm. uh, on foot. And, uh, so there was, uh, uh, quite the, quite the call for the, the entire SWAT team and, and the department. And there was, uh, over, over a hundred officers on the perimeter and, um, and then, uh, everybody's waiting for, uh, waiting for the tracking dog to get there to, uh, to go, to go apprehend this guy. Mm-hmm. And, and then that, what happened with that? How did that go? So I, I, mean, I remember uh, I was, I was talked a lot to you about it, but I don't think our listeners have any concept of this case because it was so long ago. Um, yeah, it's, uh, the state of California versus, uh, De- Deshaun Campbell was the defendant and, mm-hmm. um, so we, uh, so, so basically, uh, I, I do tell a lot of my, uh, my students about this case because, uh, this, this really comes into play with the, the mental aspect of, uh, of working your dog and, and, and how to, how to work together as a team. Um, and, uh, I had, I did have a lot of experience, uh, from you and, and from, uh, Gordon Wood to, to draw from. And, and one of the things Gordon always really beat me up on was, uh, you know, what, what, what's going on in your mind translates down that lead to the dog. And, uh, obviously my mind's a little full. I, I, I'm not sure of, um, more stressful situation to where you're going to go actively try to hunt down somebody that's already executed an officer. And, mm-hmm. uh, and so I, uh, I remember getting my dog out of the, out of the, the car and he was happy as go lucky as any other training trail. And, and he's just didn't know any difference from that than anything else in the world. And uh, I actually learned from my dog at that point, I go, if you can do it, I can do it, buddy. So let's go. And uh, so we had the entire SWAT team there, the, the full, uh, full tactical movement that, you know, we had already trained for. And uh, we, I started uh, from, uh, from the scene on a pretty clean scent that I was able to get myself. And we trailed uh, into it, into what, when, when we would hit a, what, what appeared to be a, a yard, I'd have to stop my dog and then the entire team would go in and clear clear the yard and and then uh, set up a new perimeter and then i have to bring the dog in and get my next avenue of escape and then uh fences would go down new yards would get cleared um i would work my dog up to it and get my next avenue of escape um we went through uh, several houses cross streets um and then uh, went it up into another house, and then I'd get my. And then we worked into, um, believe it or not, one of the last remaining farms in uh, in the city of San Jose. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there was like llamas running around this guy's few acres. Mm-hmm. And so now I've got uh, the full team, and there was some elevation involved with this. So so they're spreading out, clearing it. The llamas are running crazy. Uh, I'm working my dog uh, the best I can, um, and I I, I work on uh, a lot of uh, a meter system where I've got good trailing behavior, and 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 as it goes away and and comes back again, and in, in a typical trail, and uh, I made it to the other side of the 
of the yard and, uh, of the, the, the acreage. And uh, I'm now looking at uh, a six lane uh, highway mm-hmm. and my meters on, on pretty low at that point. And so I uh, ended up uh, calling my trail there. Um, mm-hmm. Cause I, I, I teach, I try to steal from the doctor's uh, philosophy of first do no wrong to an investigation yeah, um, and so I, I called it there because that was as confident as I can move with my dog, mm-hmm. um, and then uh, you know speed up about nine years the speed of the California court system, and uh, we are Zach is now retired, and uh, and and we get to uh, testify to everything I did that day, um, and uh, first we had the motion to suppress, of course, and. Uh, you know, you were the trainer and got called in to be the expert witness there. And then uh, my job was to testify on what the dog did. And there's this huge poster board with uh, everything that uh, I did along the trail and where I stopped the trail. And then um, about uh, 250 yards in front of us in an apartment complex was where the closest the every other part of the investigation could put the suspect to the actual scene mm-hmm. and where so basically he was picked up from long and short of it is, is you established the trail from the, the, the scene of the crime um, just about to the point where he was located at. Right. And then uh, my, my, my testimony was basically was um, to help close, you know, 90% of the gap from where, where he was picked up from to the actual scene of the crime. And, um, and, and so that, uh, I, I, I'm pretty hard on my, on my students to, to, to only follow trailing behavior as far as they can read it and reliably be confident in what they're doing. Um, because at that, that specific spot, I was 90% right. But if you push the dog off in another direction, cause you really want to solve the case, um, and, 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 and be a hero. Now, all of a sudden the investigation could, could lead you to be, you know, a hundred percent wrong, even though at one point you were 90% right. So I'd rather stay with 90% right than be a hundred percent wrong. Exactly. And I think that that we could, we all fall into that trap and, you know, I go back into my history and I remember running so many ghost trails because I'd lost that behavior but my ego wanted me to keep going. So I kept pushing the dog. And of course you push the dog long enough. They're going to eventually take something. And nine times out of, out of 10, that thing is not what you were looking for. It's something else. So that's really, really a good, you know, education uh, and something that, you know, you're teaching, you know, your current students to, you know, really only follow when you have something and, and just don't go blindly pushing your dog into multiple directions because, you know, you think you have to solve something uh, because in, in that situation, as you said, you actually may do more harm to the case uh, because you're taking valuable resources and perhaps pushing them 180 degrees the wrong way. A hundred percent. And, and, and another, another big ingredient to that is, is to be honest with what you're seeing from your dog and, and, and always keep that, that honest approach. Cause you know, human nature can you know that you will see what you want to look for what you want to see oh yeah and if if you want to see trailing behavior so bad that to get to the end of the trail you 
you'll see it. You'll, you'll justify anything to become trailing behavior. So you really got to be honest with yourself and and what you're seeing and uh, you know, keep an open mind and, and, and work uh, objectively. Let's, let's talk about that Deshaun Campbell case just a little bit. That was significant. I mean, not only, not only because of the, of what occurred, it was the tragedy uh, that it was, um, but it also had some implications when it, as it relates to, uh, precedent in the state of California, didn't it? As it relates to trailing and tracking work, it it, it did um, because uh, you know I, I'm definitely not the uh, the lawyer that I think I am out there on the street, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know, uh, or I, I guess I'd say that I was um, that uh, you know it uh, it basically uh, distinguished um, for per. Per the judge, um, because we had the motion to suppress, we survived the motion to suppress, and then uh, we were heard before the jury. Um, and I, I only used the word trailing in all of my testimony. I, I did not use the word tracking, and um, apparently that uh, was kind of a new thing. And so it was, uh, it became a significant case because it was, it was heard before the jury. Um, and and as a, kind of a, a distinguishing between tracking and trailing, yeah, that that's exactly what it was. It was precedent in the fact that it it made that distinction, and that distinction had not ever really been separated in the California courts before. Uh, that's what I remember about it. And you know, back in those days, I, I had no idea that that was really the case. Um, I had no idea how significant that was at the time. Uh, it's very important because I think it it actually paved the road for a lot of cases that are, that are being heard today, you know, from the, the trailing dogs that, that are working in so many places throughout the state of California now. Yeah. Um, it was, uh, I, I, I didn't really know the significance of, of what I was doing when, uh, when I, as I was testifying in that way, I just, uh, I, I, I didn't want it to be mistaken for footstep to footstep, uh, broken vegetation only kind of tracking, and that uh, you know we're working with moving scent and and how we and how I, I my experience with my dog was uh, in following that, following over different places and see that was that's the big thing and 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 going back as as you, you said I was involved in that case as well because you and I had trained together for so long um, the the big distinction was establishing the difference between the two styles of work and tracking uh, the traditional tracking style that the courts had referred to was based on primarily ground disturbance, footstep to footstep where the dog did not deviate from that track line versus our system, which was kind of a combination of different types of odor. The dog of course would work footstep to footstep if that odor was there but if it wasn't, the dog could easily transition to blown human odor that was in the form of either skin cells or off-gassing from the human body. And we both know, and I think most man-trailing people out there understand, uh, that this is uh, odor that moves off the track line and can go some very, very significant different distances based on wind and the, the general environmental conditions that you're working in. Wouldn't, wouldn't you agree? Uh, totally would agree. Yeah. And, uh, and, and it was, I, it was very important for me to, to under, 
to, for the, for the courts to know, you know, what our baseline was so that they can understand the, the, what the dog had actually, uh, was doing. And that helped, uh, helped kind of them understand how I was working the dog and the, getting that foundation out there and, and, and printed, um, kind of made, uh, made for kind of give a better understanding of what it was that I, you know, Zach and I had, uh, had gotten done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, it's actually pretty amazing now that you look back on it. I mean, we're going back 25 years ago and how the very humble beginnings of what you started with, uh, what it evolved into and, and where you are today. I mean, it, it's really kind of a testament to your, your, your dedication to the program and uh, seeing something through from beginning to end. Uh, there's not a lot of guys like you out there that have have uh, really worked the the job at the level that you did, and then continued on long past that point. I mean, if you think about it, I mean, what are you doing today? You're taking all that experience, all that education, everything that you did for years, and now you're passing it on to new generations of handlers on on several different continents. I mean, the I remember going back to those 25 years ago. And if we wanted to get people to train with us, I mean, other dog handlers from, let's say, other departments, and we could have we could have held up a, a sign saying "free training, free trailing training" uh, here at the local Walmart, as you as you suggested earlier. What it's evolved into, you know, a couple dec- decades later. I mean, now it's standing room only, uh, and the students are lined up, you know, wall to wall, in almost every state of the union, and of course, also overseas. Uh, so obviously, Kevin, I think a lot of what you did had a really, really positive impact on, you know, not only dog handling, but law enforcement in general. I mean, your career uh, was the catalyst and the start uh, for many other people to follow you, not only in the state of California, but throughout the United States and then, of course, overseas. So, you know, my hat's off to everything that you've done. Really, really impressive career. And, and I think a lot of people could really learn a, quite a bit from you. Um, now that being said, uh, you, how long ago did you retire? It's not that long ago, right? No. Yeah. I just retired here in, uh, in December and, uh, and now I, um, have, uh, transitioned into the, uh, the last phase of, mm-hmm. uh, of, uh, the police career, which is, you know, what we all, we're all looking to get to that retirement stage and then, then, there's there's not many steps after that, and the next one's not not necessarily the best step there is. Mm-hmm. And so you, you you're now tell us a little bit about what you've set up for guys that want to come train with you. Tell us a uh, tell us about you know your your training program, where you're at, what you're offering, how people can get a hold of you. Um, so I, uh, I I've retired out to the uh, the state of Idaho. Uh, mm-hmm. I've I've left. Um, the the left coast of California, um, mm-hmm. and 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 to be honest, um, you know I, I don't I don't want to dive too deep here, but uh, the the political system in California has not made it advantageous to be a police officer right now, mm-hmm. um, and so it, it did make it a little bit easier to to hang up the hat because my my dedication and uh, and desire to to be a great officer was not always appreciated in the uh, current court system. Mm-hmm. And so it, it did make it easier to, to, to be able to, to get away from that. And so now I've moved, uh, moved on to Idaho 
and uh, I am I'm currently kind of putting the final touches here on the facility I've set up and I have uh, I live out here I've been fortunate enough to live out here on uh, about 500 acres um, mm-hmm. which is a, a adjacent in, in in what's a little town called Squirrel Idaho and mm-hmm. um, adjacent to um, the uh, Caribou Targhee National Forest which is about three million acres Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, there's, there's some beautiful trailing out here, um, to be had. And, uh, we've got, uh, we're I'm putting the final touches on uh, a student house. Um, so I'll, I'll be able to house, uh, up to five students and, uh, we're setting up a, a beautiful classroom and, uh, get, uh, get everybody, uh, kind of catering, uh, tactical schools for departments that want to work tactics and, and, uh, and all of the uh, the parts that go into tactics in order to remaining safe and uh, and using that force on force with simunitions. And then mm-hmm. also, uh, you know, search and rescue that want to get the basics and foundation. And then we have uh, some small cities here and uh, some some not and some larger cities, maybe not San Jose size, but uh, nearby <laughs> to uh, work into uh, an urban environment for students and classes that want to work into urban environment, which is uh, probably a little bit more of my specialty um, is uh, I've, I've kind of worked on some systems and some techniques and that we've worked on together and expanded on those and and how to how to survive uh kind of reading that trailing behavior and understanding what's going on uh, with the, with that uh, in that urban environment where it it can be a a little bit more difficult and uh, it's more can kind of connecting dots rather than sometimes a continuous scent trail. And exactly. uh, And you know, that I would say that's the number one, you know, your, your number one advantage for any student that has an interest is that urban background. There's very few people that have worked that urban experience quite like you have. Yeah, that was that was my bread and butter. I, I honestly, you know, of my cases, very, very few of them were out in the wilderness. I, I had to kind of learn to survive in, in the city of a million people. Um, so it, uh, it it that's kind of is my my bread and butter and my specialty and, and some of the foundation I like to offer students to to work with and uh, and kind of expand upon that. And uh, and and so what I did, I did what I did as a handler and we worked together and, uh, you know, quite honestly, I don't know that I always knew what I was doing so much. I I just, uh, was able to do it and become successful. And, and what I've learned now from instructing for over 20 years was I had to basically take a, a hard look at what it was that, that I did and what was it that made me successful. And then I, and then I had to learn how to teach it to people and break it down and, uh, make it, uh, make it a, a system and, and, you know, that we work together with and, and kind of make it to where I, they can uh, understand it and make it an explainable thing rather than that's just what I did, or this is just the way to do it. And so I, I, I had to kind of, people don't really respond well to that. So you got to kind of break it down and, and make sense and make it a step-by-step process and, um, and kind of work, uh, work with the person. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So they can comprehend and, and become and, and see the logic themselves. Mm-hmm. 
Well, and if, if, you know, for our listeners out there, um, just to give you guys an idea, Kevin is running most of, you know, what I would say our West Coast uh, training opportunities uh, are out there, um, you know, in his Idaho location. He's setting up a great facility there. Lodging's going to be available. Uh, and so he's con- he'll be able to offer courses uh, not only for the tactical applications, but also just general search and rescue, law enforcement, urban tracking and trailing. And uh, he's actually available right now for training. And if any of you guys would like to get a hold of him, it's very simple. Kevin, common spelling at G is in George, A is in Adam, K is in King, the number nine.com. Kevin at GAK9.com. He'll uh, be more than happy to assist you. Uh, in getting a program that's tailor fit just for you and your department. Um, Kevin, did you, did you have a phone number that you want to give out to anybody so they contact you or is just that email good enough for you? Um, Sure. You can always reach me on my, my cell phone. um, And that is uh, 408-623-1682. 408-623-1682. And uh, that is uh, that in the in the email are by far the best way. There's uh, there's some more information from me on uh, all of Jeff's uh, website and 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 information there. And uh, we'll uh, we'll kind of be uh, growing and uh, and building it from there. And now that I've got uh, some more free time on my hands to uh, to do some more training, and and I'm not. Uh, trying to bid that time off uh, all those people out there that are still trying to bid time off to make training happen. And I, I I've, I've relieved myself of that burden. So now I'm able, I have a lot more availability to make this happen. I do, I do warn, I, I have kind of, uh, unfortunately, or fortunately I, I I've been, I, the word it seems to be most students like to describe me as is, is, is a little opposite of my personality, but I, I'm very intense when it comes to trailing. It's a very, I've always kept it as a high regard and, and, uh, I try, I, everybody, my training style and everything that I do is trained for the highest, uh, highest possible level and thinking about everything and using all my training and experience that led me to where I am and, and, uh, what, what ultimately might happen with each and every trail. So I, I do, uh, I do, I do kind of go straight down that line and, and uh, want everybody to be uh, as successful and honest and as they can possibly be in, in the trailing community. Absolutely. You know, for our listeners out there, it doesn't matter what your, your background is. If you're a search and rescue canine handler, you're a patrol canine handler with your patrol dog. Uh, if you want some of the best uh, urban tracking trailing training possible, uh, you have to get with Kevin. I mean, by far, uh, there's very, very few uh, people with more urban experience than he does. Uh, John Salem, one of also our very good friends, is probably the the other guy I would recommend as well. So uh, if you have an interest, you want to get into some of that West Coast training, uh, get with Kevin, kevin at gak9.com. Uh, and Kevin, I, I think that's about it. If you've got anything else that you want to say or plugs feel free now's your time to do it well i uh i i i'm surprised you didn't uh you didn't hit on 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 i we kind of nutshelled my career but uh i know you 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 do like to point out uh i after 
my entire career, I, I've gotten to do a lot of stuff in police work and, uh-huh. and, uh, Jeff has his own philosophy on how I got there and got to do some uh-huh. different things. And uh, I'll let you share that one. Um, uh-huh. I, I believe it was my dedication and, and hard desire to, to do what I wanted to do. Um, so after, after give you a little brief uh, understanding of my total picture was uh, after a canine officer, I had never thought I was about you know, my mid thirties and I never thought about that about doing anything else in life past being a canine officer and so in San Jose, you, you have to rotate out. And, uh, and so then uh, my, my career philosophy became, um, because I enjoyed so much uh, working with my dog and having a good time uh, learning and, and traveling the world and, and just cases all over and different agencies and, and all the different things that that brought with it was uh, what, what became my, my career goal became what, uh, what other toys do they have that they want to pay me to play with? Uh, so uh i uh i then uh i go people make a life out of this motorcycle thing so i became a motor rat um and then about two years into that uh that kind of lost its luster because you can only do so many things it's it's not an unsolvable puzzle that i find uh scent and dog work to be um and that uh so two years into that i i well they got a fixed wing plane so what do I, what do I got to do to go become a, a pilot? So I went and got my pilot's license and then made it into that unit and immediately got thrust into, um, instrument and commercial school. And, uh, I, I learned some training techniques from, from being a pilot that I, I applied to all my students and, uh, a great instructor of mine basically said, uh, you, you're going to need some valuable skills here down the road. And if I make it easy for you, you're not going to remember them. So it's, uh, <laughs> it's learning through pain and mental pain is part of that process. And uh, so a lot of my students get to learn through pain. I, I do apply that, uh, apply that philosophy. And, and uh, I typically never give you the exact answer because I won't be there in a real trail to give you an answer. I give you the pieces to, to, to kind of, uh, to solve the problem yourself and uh, give you the tools that you need to get to that problem. And then uh, that's where I learned that skill from. And then uh, from there I became a detective and, uh, and I, I couldn't even really, I can barely turn on a computer. And then next thing I know uh, I'm, I'm, I'm solving uh, um, Computer crimes, uh, unfortunately, the worst kind possible of the uh, child pornography type, and then uh, got to do some exciting work there. So I've always uh, been dedicated and applied myself to, uh, to to adapt and overcome to the situation at hand and, and become uh, as good as I can be in, uh, at that skill. Um, and so I apply all those traits to my teaching technique. And, uh, you know, the greatest... Uh, the greatest, you know, reward I get is when, um, you know, I get handlers from all over the world that email me and kind of tell me their story about, uh, I was, I was on this trail for X, Y, and Z and, uh, something went wrong. And, uh, and I hear this voice in my head about, you know, how did you get here? Where you're going? What are your avenues of escape? Um, you know, what is your dog doing? And, and I hear these words in my head and then I apply that. And then uh, I had a successful end to this, to this trail. 
And uh, so those are the tools I try to try to leave everybody with is is give them those tools to, to succeed and and help them uh, understand whatever that 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 scent puzzle is that's in front of them. And uh, so the last little bit is uh, I, I look at trailing as uh, kind of making a known from two unknowns. And what I mean by that is uh, I, I referred earlier that nobody can tell us exactly what scent is, where scent is. Or, or how it works yet. That's a, a mystery still to be solved. And I haven't spoke to anybody yet that can uh, speak to what I like to call dog and ease and uh, can, and has a dog tell them what uh, is going on. And so we know a little bit about each of those. And from each of those, we try to, we try to make a known um, which is called uh, trailing. So that uh, that's uh, I'll leave you with that little tidbit and uh, that, uh, and I, I, I've got, I, it's just an endless puzzle that I uh, am continuously working as hard as I can to try to understand and make, uh, make people better at. And, uh, and I definitely learn from each and every student to, to, to help make that a better picture as well. Yeah. Well, Kevin, you're, you've had an amazing career. Um, I, I don't know anybody in law enforcement that has had so many hats in such a short period of time. Uh, how you accomplished that? Well, one could wonder, but very amazing. You've done an incredible job out there. And most importantly, everything that you've done with tracking and trailing, um, the, the, the places that you've gone, the things that you've seen. And more importantly, I think that the people that you've helped over the years um, has had a significant impact on our industry. And uh, one of the reasons why I think uh, tracking and trailing has grown and become so popular, uh, in particular, the methodology that we use today is because of your efforts and your work over the last couple of decades. So I just want to thank you for, for that, um, all of your time and effort, your dedication to what we do. Uh, and then also just coming on to, to join me today on, on this edition of Manhunter Radio. And uh, I'm hoping, again, we'll have another chance to, to shoot the shit and, and talk about some more stuff in, in a coming episode. But thanks a lot for coming and joining us today. It was really a fantastic uh, episode. Thanks so much for having me and uh, everything you do. All right, brother. All right, I'll talk to you a little bit later. Thanks for listening. You can learn more about Jeff Shetler, available books, training courses, and the Tracker School by visiting tttk9.com or by following us on social media. Until next time, Cavete Lupus, beware the wolf. <laughs>